Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Friday morning. I wanted to do this yesterday, but now I have a very busy schedule on Thursday evenings, and uh, I'm going to be influenced by that, uh, especially I'm doing now this Medrash class at my son's house at 8 o'clock, and then afterwards you have our eccentric club or so, so little, and i got to finish my uh, lecture also for Saturday night, so it's uh, always going to be what it is. Anyway, I'm going to jump right into it. You have in this week's parasha, you know, I'll call your attention to two or three things. These are famous Medrash, and we talked about it last night. Um, this is real cute, and one is... Um, and, I, and maybe I've spoken about it before, I don't remember, but hopefully you don't remember either. Uh, that, uh, and this is a famous passage, where you Yuchai Yisar, she's 127 years old. There's a famous uh, medrash, I'm sure you must have heard it one time or another, um, that every pulpit rabbi likes to hear. And that is, it says that uh, Rabbi Kiva, Rabbi Kiva was giving a speech, and people fell asleep on him. So you say, how can people fall asleep on Rabbi Kiva? The biggest person in the world might not be the best speaker. And second of all, you can take it from me. You can be a good speaker. And and nevertheless, you know, people can say, oh, yeah, 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 and, they, and, and, and things fall apart. And so uh, the story is that he wanted to chop them ice. He wanted to uh, wake them up. Now, this is uh, part of being in the rabbi business or any public speaking business. There's certain tricks and shticks. You understand? So what do you do, really, if a uh, crowd is falling asleep on you when you're talking? So some people drone on. I had Rabam like that. You know, some people drone on, and it is what it is. But other people know that you come up with some kind of a, 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 a surprise, a shock ending, or something like that. And uh, so Rabbi Kiva said, according to the story in the Medrash, Bikesh Le'over, and he wanted to wake him up. Amar, Ma Ra Esther Shetam Lechashev Medina. Why did Esther rule 127 provinces? Meaning, why does the Torah tell you, take the trouble to tell you that she ruled 127 provinces? Like, who cares? Unless you connect it with the 127 years of Sarah. Tabo Esther shows a boss beat the show Sarah, shall may best him shana, but Timlachov may have best him shamadinos. That, you know, since Sarah lived 127 years, Esther got 127 promises. The, the plain shot goes like this. It was the middle of winter, like Parshish Chai Sarah. He started talking about Purim, about what the heck is up. And he woke up, and that was the point to talk about Queen Esther. And then when he got their attention, he went on droning for the rest of his speech, um, which is okay with me. You know, like, I could totally hear that. However, I just always recall there's an Alsha. For some reason, there's like a couple of Alshechs I remember uh, during the year. Don't ask me why. And uh, one of them is uh, a very nice Vart, in my opinion, and that is that the Alshech, who, by the way, was a fantastic speaker. The Alshech, you probably don't know what I'm talking about. Moshe Alshech, well, you know, the, uh, is one of the great uh, Darshans in Jewish history. He's up there with the biggies. So, uh, he was a Sephardi in Eretz Yisrael, and in the time of Yosef Karo. Anyway, he says, my friends, is this just a speaker trick, or is this Chazal something dark and deep and heavy? And of course, it's the latter. So what is it? What does Esther have in common with Sarah? So he said, well, I don't know. Said, They're both Jewish women who were grabbed by Gaisha kings. But in the case of Sarah, God did not let Pharaoh touch her. But in the case of Esther, God did let Ahasuerus touch her, and more. 
And so what does that indicate? At a superficial glance, you'll say, well, Sarah was a real tzedekist, therefore God intervened to protect her. Esther was the opposite of a tzedekist, one would think superficially, therefore God did not protect her. Kamash Malon, that was Rabbi Kiba, what he was saying, because Rabbi Kiba's a big mystic, you know, he said, no, 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 the fact that the Miguel tells you 127 promises to tell you she's the same tzedekist like Esther, I mean, the same tzedekist like Sarah, he may know, she was a true daughter of Sarah, let's put it that way. As you know, Esther didn't volunteer to be seized by the king, it just happened. And if she ended up remaining with the king, if God did not protect her, it wasn't because of any sin of hers or because she was a loose character, but rather because it was the destiny of the Jewish people to be saved and poor, etc., etc., etc. I always thought that's a nice word. Uh, I always think about it whenever it comes to Parsha Chayisar. However, there's a lot more than that, and uh, I'm just uh, thinking or rambling here how to do this. Uh, it says very interestingly, At the very beginning, Parsha Sar dies. And then Avram comes. Where's he come from? Mehechem Ball, you know, where's he come from? Uh, let's put it this way. Wasn't he there when his, when his beloved wife died? They were married since they were 10 years old, 5 years old. Wasn't he there? So you say, well, no, he wasn't there. So why wasn't he there? That's the question. Why wasn't he there? So don't go by just Rashi. Rashi, what Rashi does is he picks among the Medrashis for his reasons. But the Midrashim are varied, and they all count. And so the bottom line is, you see a very, very interesting, uh, to me, a very interesting uh, difference of opinion in the Medrash of where they come from, okay? So we have uh, Reb Levi versus Reb Yossi, two big people. Reb Levi says, Mikvurasso shall terach that Avram wasn't there when Sarah died because he went far away, a thousand miles away, or however, hundreds of miles away, to see his father. He went to see his father. What's he doing that for? What's going on over here? And, and, and he buried the father. And that took a while. And then by the time he returned, Sarah was dead. Matter of fact, the Pashup Shah goes like this. The day just before he... Let's, let's say for argument's sake, it takes a month to travel from, uh, from uh, what, Hebron, I guess, to, uh, or Beersheba, to, uh, to Haran, where Terach lived. So, Avram went up there, and he ended up burying the father, and then it takes a month to get back. On the last day of the month, meaning, let's say it's a Monday, just for argument's sake. So Avram is on his way, and uh, he's going to get back home, let's say, for example, Monday at 12 o'clock midday. And Sarah died at 9 o'clock in the morning, a couple hours before. So he wasn't there when she uh, passed away. And therefore, Vayavu Avram, he showed up, and he started crying, and imagine how he felt. And the Medrash even says, that he threw himself on the coffin, and he screamed, it's all my fault, that's not a guilt trip. He saw the medicine, the Malcham of us pointing at him sternly with a disapproving finger, which means he had an attack of conscience. And listen, you can totally hear it. You know, you know a beloved couple, they married for all these years, he wasn't there when she passed away. Uh, now, he didn't know she was going to die. Uh, how would he know that? Remember, they say, Bas Kuf, Bas Kuf, you know, she was in good shape, he thought. But sometimes, unfortunately, it's like that. A person's in great shape, and then they're gone. You know, it can happen. And so uh, he's, he's uh, suffused with guilt. Uh, and by, as I said before, he threw himself in the coffin. Uh, the only thing is, like an Onain, he is able to get back to himself because he has to take care of the funeral. He says, he, So he forced himself to get up. And he started talking to the Chavar Kedisha. He started talking to Bnei Chis to get, a, to get a burial plot. You know, knows he had to focus on the practical stuff. It's just very interesting, the whole, this whole uh, scene. 
which is not explicated in the text of the Chumash. It just says the enigmatic words, So what I just told you for the Medish Rabbah says, now, Reb Levi says he came from his father's uh, uh, funeral. What is that? What is that? So here we have something very, very interesting. And I'll tell you my interpretation, because that's all I ever do. You've all heard, and Rashi quotes this, that Sarah died because she was scared from the Akeda, right? Uh, the Sultan said this, or she heard that, or, you know, something like that, something with the Akeda. Different versions of what exactly happened from the, from the Tsar. And if Robin feels guilty, you know, he came back, he went with a, a Yitzhak, he went up to the mountain, came back with the mountain. Instead of having the opportunity to tell his wife, happy ending, our son is still alive, she's dead. You know, that, that's, that's a scene. Okay? Where did he get that from? The answer is, because and Rashi says this, he said, because of the juxtaposition of the stories. What's at the end of uh, Parsha Vayero, the previous Parsha? The story of Akedis Yitzhak. So, if you have Akedis Yitzhak, and right after it is found um, the death of Sorrow, Shema Minah, that the Akedis Yitzhak was Gorim, was causing the death of Sorrow, and that would trigger all the Midrashic interpretations that, you know, she died from something connected with the Akedis Yitzhak. That's the classical, regular Rashi-type interpretation. And that's in the Medrash, of course, also, the Eridosa, and fine. But in real, real reality, it's not so simple. Because at the end of Parsha Vayera, it's not the last thing that precedes the death of Sarah, it's not the Akedis Yitzhak. Agreed? I'll say it again. It's not that you go from the Akedis Yitzhak straight into uh, the story of, you know, of um, uh, the death of Sarah. Uh, there's something in between, isn't there? And what does it say? Uh, how's it go when Avram came back? They say, guess what? You know, you have new relatives. Uh, well, what's the language over there? That when Avram, and then uh, they tell him, guess what? Isn't that right? Let me, let me just open a comment here and see for a second. At the very beginning of Vayera, so and so basically he was told that um, your brother has had a lot of children and 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 Ainiklach, uh, including uh, Rivka, Ophilak shows Shmo Ruman and a Pelegish, whatever. Now uh, that's interesting, right? That's interesting. So uh, so what does that mean? Apparently there was some kind of baby boom up there in uh, where his brother Nachar lives. Where does it, and, and right after that comes the death of Sarah. So if you want to be really uh, scholarly, very exact, which you're supposed to be in this stuff, then the thing that precedes the death of Sarah is the announcement of these uh, births. Now, where did these uh, births uh, take place? Well, up there in Aram Narayim, you know, where the rest of Avram is the one who left. Avram the one where God said, and all that. The rest of the family stayed back up north in Aram Narayim. In Haran. So, interesting. So, what's after? And right after that comes the death of Sarah. So, listen to this. I just saw this in the Yafei Torah. I like the Yafei Torah. So, the indication goes as follows uh, Avram, and, and I'm just sharing with you to show how a simplistic read of the Chumash is not what the Chazal ever do. Um, the story goes like this. There's the Akedah, and the Akedah was successfully executed. 
And Sarah did not die from that. And then uh, Avram gets the news. So just for argument's sake, let's say the Akeda, I'll just make it as up. Let's say the Akeda takes place in January. Fine. So then Avram gets news in January. There's a whole bunch of kids and grandchildren, the whole family you didn't know about, up back in around the Rhyme. Okay. So Avram goes to visit his family, he wants to see the relatives. After all, he moved to Israel, Palestine when he was 75. And now it's what, 70 years later? Something like that, isn't that right? You know, it's 100 and something. So uh, that's a long time. See, Halachla, his basir, it's all He He goes back to Choran for the first time ever since he moved to Israel to visit the family. While, and, and uh, if you follow the Midrashim, to his uh, joy, his father has become a BT, a Terach. He used to be a big idol worshiper. In his old age, you know, got monotheistic again. As happens sometimes, right? I've seen that. You have seen that. Some guys are crazy when they're middle-aged. And when we get to old age, for whatever reason, they, you know, sort of straighten out. Sometimes not, but sometimes yes. So, Av- so here's a whole story within a story. So Avram returns back home, meaning his original place from where he left for Israel, you know, 70 years before, something like that. And um, he visits the family. He visits his aged father. While there, the father dies. This is an opportunity for Avram to actually do Kivit Avain, to, to, uh, to, to, together with Nachar, to bury the father. It's a zechus. I mean, let's put it this way. Nobody wants a parent to die, but everybody wants a situation where the children bury the parent, not the other way around. Agree? So, um, Avram buries the father. And he spends time there, whatever. So let's say, again, that the Akeda took place in January. Then he traveled to uh, Aram Narayim. So let's say he gets there, I don't know, for argument's sake, around the beginning of March, something like that. Oh, I guess it took a couple of weeks. And maybe not, you know, I don't know. And then he buries the father and meets the family and all this. This all takes place during March. And then he returns back home. Let's say it's April. And when he returns home, sorry, it just died. And that's the meaning of Rav Levi, that, uh, you know, he came where, Mehechem Ba, Mekuras Oshel Terachaviv. You know, meaning the whole story I told you, he didn't take his wife with him. Now, why did he not take his wife with him? I don't know. Uh, could be, I'm just speculating, could be, she wasn't feeling great. Uh, maybe she was not in great health. In which case, he's really going to kick himself that, you know, I left her alone. And so you have a, a wonderfully complex story, you know, should he take, which can happen sometimes, should the person take care of his wife, or should he take care of the father? You know what I mean? There, there are people who find themselves in these situations. Uh, you know, which, which one gets the priority? In which case, if this is true, then this interpretation of Olevi is actually literally based on a juxtaposition. Because after the Akeda, doesn't tell you how long after the Akeda, right? Doesn't tell you how long after the Akeda, it could be right away, it could be more than that. And then Avram says, gee, I'm going to go and, and, and visit them. You know, it's a whole family, I haven't seen them in a long time, uh, forever. And when that happens, of course, then it's, uh, you know, then, then comes the tragedy of sorrow. So, this is the language of the Torah I have it in front of me. Right? 
Whatever happened, this is an untold story in the history of Abraham. It's only understood by uh, implications between the verses. So Avram takes a visit to Chutzlaritz, and it sounds like his only visit to Chutzlaritz, uh, as a result of all this. Which is just, uh, you know, kind of, let's put it this way, kind of an interesting business. This would help explain why, in this week's Parsha, immediately after the story of the death of Sar and the burial, Avram gets old and tells Eliezer, I want you to go back up there to find a, 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 a wife for my son Yitzhak. Um, because he was just there. And he met the family. And he could size them up. And he could say, you know, maybe they're not exactly Shemr Shabbos, but they're very traditional Jews, to use modern language. Uh, you know, I don't know if he knew about Lovin or not. Uh, I mean, he must have, but, you know, there's no, no, no use speculating on that. Uh, Lovin is, of course, an important figure in these next couple of parshas. May I remind everybody, Lovin is our Zaydi. <laughs> All the Jews come from Lovin. That's the uncle you don't want to talk about. You know, everybody likes to do him. He said, I want to tell you about my grandfather. Is What about your other grandfather? Who's in jail? You know, we don't talk about him. You know, so you and I talk about Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, and so forth. And it is true; these are our ancestors. But I got news for you: Lovin is also. Am I wrong? Am I right? Is Lovin not the father of Rachel and Leah, and maybe even Bill and Zilpah? So we all come from Lovin. And as you look around the Jewish world, what can I tell you, my friends? A lot of people look like the Lovin genes are predominant more than the Abraham genes. That's, that's just the way it goes. Just just go on the internet and look at the next scandal. I'm talking about from scandal now, uh, which is every 10 minutes. So anyway, you see these very interesting uh, dynamics, and Avram is saying, I want you to go back to Aaron the Rhyme. I want you to go to Aaron the Rhyme. And if he had just visited his father and the bury him and all the rest of it, he met the relatives, you can understand, he's, he's going to say, you know, this is the type of people, that general group, that uh, would be good uh, marriage for my son. Which, of course, raises the whole very, very interesting parish of Shadukim, which is it dealt with a great length in this week's Parsha, as we all know. Because, uh, listen, this is the Parsha of Shaduchim. Uh, I'm obviously going to read this Parsha different now that my kids are married off, thank God, than a couple years ago when my kids were not married off. Then you always, uh, you know, the Parsha of the week is the Parsha of the week. And it's very hard. Uh, people have children in Parsha Shaduchim. Very, very difficult. And it was also difficult for Abba Mavina 4,000 years ago. That's the point of the story. One simple frame. Consider, well, Yitzhak, they say, was 36 at the time of the Akedah. Uh, and then afterwards, his mother dies, you know, right away or a little while afterwards. So let me put, let me get this straight. Avram and, and Sar were never looking to find the shit for Yitzhak. I mean, it's a, it's a funny funny story, you know? I know that there are modernist theories about all this, but that's all bull. It's a funny story. Here's a guy, Yitzhak, normal, as we'd say today, you know, a decent sheikh. In those days, you used to get married 10 or 12, 13, whatever. So how come he wasn't married to, up to the age of 36? Uh, it, it, you know, it's interesting. Now, the Pashup shot goes like this. Uh, they were looking for a girl. They couldn't find one. Really? 20 years? 25 years are you looking for the right uh, shidduch? It can happen. We see it all the time. Unfortunately, you see it all the time today. This, I can say, as, you know, as a parent, uh, you see great people. And uh, they're not necessarily the ones that have luck on Shaduchim. And uh, so it's just very interesting. You know, Sarah and Avram had a high bar, especially Sarah, I'm sure. Uh, you know the story Rashi says when Rivka showed up, she saw it was just like Sarah. There weren't many girls who could match that. 
and, uh, you know, sorry, it's a big sadekis and so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, there's no girl around there. No sakhanani, there's no girl. I mean, he had Canaanite friends, sincere friends. Honor, Eshkel, Mamri, these were already monotheists. But, you know, the girls weren't the right type of girl. That's evidently what happened. And so you see really a very interesting story with which we can all empathize nowadays, which is here you have Avram and Sarah, the richest people in Canaan, the seal, she's a Sarah princess, can't find anything, you know, in terms of Shadukim, and here's poor Yitzhak running around all the time, and none of them want to make the mistake of marrying the wrong girl. That's what you see very interesting over here. Why didn't Yitzhak say that? Well, I'll just, you know, marry somebody, see how it works out. Life gets very complicated if you marry the wrong partner. And all through the Ovos stories and Brashish, you always see they're very wary about the complications introduced by the wrong partner. Let's put it this way. You and I are suffering today because of the whole hugger business. Agreed? You know, the whole Middle Eastern problem. It's, uh, it's uh, you know, uh, simply due to the fact that, uh, you know, got the hugger p business got involved in, in the marriages. We all know. It's hard enough just one man, one woman. And when you get multiplicities of that, it's it really uh, complicated. So you see that Yitzhak... Um, was a one-woman man, as they would say today, which, by the way, Rashi says, I mean, the Medrash Rabbah says next week's parasha, Yitzhak only wanted to have one wife, and he said, if it, otherwise it will be childless, will be childless, you know, any children you're going to have is have to come through, going to have to come through Rivka. It's quite a story. So, uh, you know, he's that type of guy who wants to marry one girl, the right girl. And Alfred and are not successful. And uh, they probably looked up and down here and there. After all, they were loaded. You know, but sometimes loaded is not good. Every scheming uh, heiress and, uh, you know, sh- uh, sh- uh, unscrupulous shotgun probably swarmed over Avram and Yitzhak all the time with 100,000 offers. Makes sense, right? I mean, you know, Avram, rich guy. He, I mean, let's put it this way he's an easy target for the unscrupulous back in those centuries because Vahilotzon, Shvachim, Avados, and Avonim Shvachos, and, you know, Gamalim, and all this business. So who, who wouldn't want? The commission on that shidduch. <laughs> Who wouldn't want that? And he doesn't uh, want to do it. And so it's only when the wife dies, Avram more or less gives up, and he says, I'm too old. Avram zakim bab bayamim, you know, I can't do it. But he tells us we know his Evid, which we assume is Eliezer, it never says the words Eliezer. He sends, sends his Evid, and he says, go back to where my family was. You see, because I was there not long ago. And I see they're the right material. You know, may, maybe, you know, it's not perfect, Bisuel comes across as, a, as an unscrupulous idol worshiper. Uh, Lavan certainly does. But on the other hand, he saw that, you know, there's Epis there. Let's put it this way. If Terach had just done Teshuva, you see there's a certain conscience and things like that there. Plus, I would also throw in the following very interesting fact. When you get to Parshas Vayetzi, I guess, uh, I just happen to remember this, when, Avram, when Yaakov runs away to Aram Narayim, and he kisses Rachel, everybody's shocked. Uh, and the Medrash says, that by that time, up in that part of the world, you know, like the Arab world today, public morality is, is, is they do keep. You understand? In other words, you don't have the kind of things, X-rated shows like you have in America and the whole culture. And, you know, America is nothing compared to Europe. Woo, boy. So, if you've ever been in Europe, I vey. So, uh, those are countries in which Let's put it this way, the whole idea of morality just out the window. But in the more Arabic-type countries, or in this case, pre-Arab, in Aram Narayim, uh, when, when, when uh, Yaakov kisses Rachel, everybody's shocked, it says. 
and they're angry at Yaakov. Why are you breaching public morals? That's the kind of thing that Avram would appreciate. <laughs> you understand? He's around here, all the Canaanite girls. Forget about it, you know. Forget about it. But uh, you know, that's not nobody. Nobody uh, for, for for the Yitzhak type. Uh, to use modern terminology, they're all sleeveless, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, not a not. not I, I just visited a different place. I forgot what it was like. So here, Avram has left Aram Narayim. He went down to uh, uh, Canaan. Uh, back in Aram Narayim, there had been idol worship. That is true. But on the other hand, it was a more uh, moral society. Down in Canaan, you got idol worship plus an immoral society. So Yitzhak's going to have his hands full just, uh, you know, handling one challenge. Uh, how do you get a wife who grew up in, a, in an idol worship family? But if you also have an idol worship family plus an immoral society, that's very hard. <laughs> that's very hard. Now, as we all know, the end of the story is a happy ending. He lucked out. Rivka was both. She was willing to abandon the uh, idol worship, and uh, even though she obviously must have been raised in it. And she was a Tanua, you know. So remember about to, she put a, 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 a scarf on and all the, you know, the, the what do you call it, the veil and so forth. So everything worked out good in the end. But Avram didn't know that. And, he, you know, it's very, very interesting. He's uh, weighing possibilities and he's saying, listen, you know, from girls are not out there. Think of what I'm telling you. From girls are not out there. The only from girls are the converts. It's a nefesh of For some reason, Avram and Sarah don't want to marry uh, somebody. It's just very interesting to me. They themselves had converted all these people. His, you know, they had like a, a Chabad house. That's what they say with the tent, and they brought people in and all that. The Makar of Tachas Kamfi Ashkina. But they didn't want to marry any of them. <laughs> right? uh, I, I wonder how the uh, converts have felt about that. You know, like it's good enough to join your religion, but not good, not good enough to marry. But that's how Avram ran the show. As a matter of fact, one of the most uh, dramatic parts, according to Chazal, one of the most dramatic parts of the whole story in Sweet's Pasha is the role of Eliezer. Because this whole thing was one gigantic diss on Eliezer. Because Eliezer had a daughter. And if Avram was saying, go 100 miles away, hundreds of miles away, and find somebody else, that's a way of saying, I don't want your daughter. And, you know, ordinarily, if this was a different type of person, Eliezer would say, oh, you know what, my daughter? I'll get, you know, I could just make a novel out of this. I could be Balzac and write a novel. Oh, you want to do this? I'll bring in a girl that you'll, one day you'll rue the fact that you turned down my daughter. You know, I'll get you a daughter who'll destroy your family. Because history is replete with cases, as I just indicated before, you marry the wrong girl, or sometimes the wrong husband, they can destroy a Gansa family. All you need is a little bit of Othello, you know, a little Lush and Harry here, a little lies over there, and the whole family structure can, can get ripped up. It's easy, unfortunately, it's the easiest thing in the world. All the great novels, European novels are coming with that theme, you know, that somebody comes in and just destroys the whole fabric uh, of, of the uh, family. It's, e it's unfortunately very easy. And uh, Eliezer rises above that. That's what the Chazal say in this week's Pasha. I don't have it in front of me. But he, he, he got to be Nizbarich. You know what I mean? In other words, he did, uh, he carried out his job very professionally. And uh, even though, you know, his daughter, you know, didn't get to, to marry Yitzhak, but nevertheless, uh, you know, uh, he he did the right thing, as, as it were. But what you end up with all this is that Shaduchim, as we all know, is, uh, you know, you do your Ishtadlis, but it don't mean nothing. You know, it's a, then at the end of the day, you got to have the luck. You have to have Seyata Dishmaya. So it's really funny to me. Avram says, go and look for a girl from a foreign country and get somebody with Chesed and all this. But he also, it says, that Avram wrote him a blank check. So basically, <laughs> a daitiki, as it says. So, you know, if you ever come 
to Aram Narayim, uh, let's, I'm just for argument's sake, let's say I'm worth $100 million. <laughs> you have a check written $100 million with a blank on it, you understand? Meaning he, he really empowered Eliezer to do whatever was necessary to find the right girl. Called Tuv Adonov Biado. It could have happened, I mean, let's put it this way. Suppose Eliezer would have found Rivka and ascertained that she's the right girl. And let's say Rivka's family would have said, we want 100 million bucks. Called Tuv Adonov Biado. You know, then, he, then, you know, Avram said, then do whatever it takes uh, to get the right girl, to get the right shidduch, money's no object. Which, by the way, is a very interesting way of looking at things, isn't it? You know, today we'd say getting ripped off. Avram was a grand seigneur, a grand uh, figure. And you see with him, he has a lot of money, but he knows how to handle the money. Avram isn't one of these tight-fisted little guys that's trying to, you know, rip you off or knock you down or do this or that. You know, you don't find it with Avram. Same thing, by the way, at the beginning of the parsha with Ephraim. You know, Avram says, how much you want? Ephraim says, 400 bucks. This is supposed to be the opening gambit in the Middle East, you know. You say 400, then Avram says 200, they settle on 300. And Avram says right away, no problem, take whatever you want. And if you follow the matters, we did this last night, he said to the Bnei Ches, Pigauni, Piguli Ephraim and Sochar, which means I want you to be the uh, broker, the agent, to arrange the shit between me and Ephraim and Sochar to buy the land. And what that, of course, means is like this. Avram said, listen, I'll give you a finder's fee, you know. You you, you arrange that I should get the Mars Machpela, you will not lose by it. So Avram paid a lot more than 400 uh, shekel, you understand? But he didn't mind, because big people, they know money is, is, is not the object. Money is a tool, you get it? Money you do for grand uh, 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 objectives. And he was willing to spend all those pennies. And uh, as it happened, it seems that <laughs> this is almost funny. This is almost funny. At the end, uh, Lovin and these guys were not smart enough to, to, to demand the big bucks. Uh, what happened? He gave her some jewelry, which she obviously took home with her, back to uh, uh, Canaan. And what else did he give her? He's Migdonos, you know what I mean? Notice he, he gave some presents. So uh, that's actually funny, because they could have said, like this, you got Koltuva on the door. Show me that Daitiki, baby. You know, I, I want some big bucks. But he didn't have to do it, did he? So you see, it's a, it, it's a muzzle. It's a muzzle. But I'm just telling you, even Avraham was going by Siat the Shemay, all the rest of it. But he gave him a check. <laughs> you know, he says, Shadduchim is going to involve money. You know, that's the way it goes. It's going to involve paying out money, but I'm willing to do it if I get if I get what we're looking for. The other thing he gave him was uh, what? It was a 10 camels, and he gave him the, 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 the check. And um, I forget what the other one is. He it, 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 There was like several things that he bestowed upon Eliezer, the shelf when he gets to Kharim. Uh, well, you'll look at it yourself and you, because now I called your attention to it. Uh, you can find it in there. Uh, it's just very fascinating. Eliezer, I'll just make one more point because then I got to go. Got to go shopping. Uh, Eliezer, as we all know, uh, is a shrewd guy. He was in charge of Abram's household. The, 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 the way things seem is that Abram was old. Baba Yamim. And Elias is running the operation, which means he was the chief of staff. You know, he was his CPA, his CEO, the CFO. It's, it's just interesting, you know what I mean? That's who Elias was. And you can tell he's smart, because the first thing he did was, he went right away to the well, and he just located himself, sitting with his camels. I can just see it now, sitting down with his eyes closed like he's taking a snooze. When all the girls come there to, to, to get water, which means he went to Yenta Center, 
and he wanted to hear what the yenta is all about, which is all the gossip. Ordinarily, you're not supposed to listen to Lashon Hara, but there are times when you are supposed to listen to Lashon That's what that means. There are times, uh, not generally, but there are times when you're supposed to listen to Lashon Hara. In our society today, when is the time to listen to Lashon Hara? Shaduchim. That's what everybody in the world does. They call up, he's, I heard your references, and the other. What they're asking for, red flags, bad news about the family, all the rest of it. This is when it's, as they call toeles. So it's a very cute medrash, which says, uh, If you're involved with Shaduchim, you listen when the dogs are howling. Who matches my name? You listen to what they're what, what they're howling, which is of course a euphemism for saying then you sit yourself down by the well or in Baltimore by Seven Mile Market or something like this or wherever the women the local women are coming or guys uh, you know to to yak at the mikveh in Israel you know all this hawking uh, sh- shootings bull because you you when it's no gaya you want to know. If this guy was involved in a scandal, if that guy cheated money, if the third guy is involved in this situation, if the fourth guy, you know, the brother was thrown out of school, there are times you have to know. If you're involved in shidduchim, then it's there. The trick, of course, is once the shidduchim is over, you go back to normal. There are some people that get so in love with the lashahar they don't drop it. But I'll tell you the honest truth: at my age in life, who went to hear more lashahar? You know, we're in the rabbi business. You know, too doggone much anyway. It's boring. What do I have to know your problem for? Unless it's no gaya to me. You understand? If it's no gaya for a shidduch, or it's no gaya for a job, or something like that, it's a different story. And that's who Eliezer was. He was the Evan Avram. Usually he didn't involve himself with petty uh, gossip and all the rest of it. But when you're in Aram Narayib, and when you're on a specific mission for your master Abraham, then you sit yourself down very quietly by the well, and you listen to all the women talking, and he looked out, as we know. Anyway, as I said, i got to go shopping, so have a good Shabbos. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.